Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. Powered by Leadership Choices. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast Leaders Talk. My name is Carsten Draht and I'm one of the managing partners of Leadership Choices. Today, it's a great day for our company. We host the second virtual um, conference, Bouncing Back Stronger, Leaders in the New Normal. And uh, I'm about to open the executive panel discussion uh, with five uh, international guests who will report from their experience how their company, their organization deal with the current crisis and also what these companies are doing to prepare um, for the new normal, for the future, for tomorrow, however you want to call it, for the challenges uh, that are coming towards us and uh, so what concretely uh, they are doing. And I would like to introduce today's panelists um, to you. So first is Daniela Bücker. Um, Daniela Bücker is a board member of Fiducia GRE. This is a IT services company working in the financial sector, working um, for banks. Uh, over 7,000 um, employees and uh, Fiducia GRD is rebuilding itself in the moment. It is one of the largest um, changes and transformation of an organization into agile working, into, into new work. And at the same time, they are also supporting their clients, their customers, that the banks that they work for, that they support to produce more and more digital products, um, to automate processes, and to, to kind of help the banks to adjust to the new normal where there's uh, less and less actually banking outlets and more and more is done from the sofa uh, at home. So this is Daniela Bücker. We have uh, Kiyomas Hamidian. Um, Kiyomas Hamidian is uh, chairman and managing partner of Bearing Point. Uh, Bearing Point is a management consultancy founded in 2002. 4,600 employees um, and they are covering multiple industries, multiple businesses. So in other terms, they also see a lot what is ongoing with their customers and how the demands change. And on the other hand, they are also confronted with the fact that the uh, people today that join the work workforce have a different expectation towards their career, have a different expectation towards how they want to develop. And uh, so Kiyomas will, sh will share his experiences uh, with this regards, how, how Bearing Point is preparing for the future there. Then we have Kate McCord. Kate McCord works for DHL Express, an organization with over 500,000 employees, one of the most international international organizations there are. Internal communications are translated in 25 languages, just to give you an idea. And um, DHL has a very special culture. Um, the CIS, the Certified International Specialist, these are the backbone of this organization. These are the, the people that actually do the logistics, do the um, the heavy lifting of all the, the parcels, the packages that, that get transported throughout the entire world. And uh, yeah, she will talk about this unique culture that she has found while joining DHL in the middle of the Corona pandemic. We have Klaas Neumann from Shanghai, China. Um, Klaas works for SAP. He is the highest ranking officer of SAP in China. He is heading the SAP Labs network. This is the network of uh, organizations that actually develop the code for the SAP applications. Um, so he's in charge of that. SAP has more than 100,000 um, people around the world and it's the most valuable company in the German uh, stock index DAX. So um, Klaas will also shed some light on how he perceives that the, the industry and the business in China is kind of 
developing and preparing for the time after Corona and for what is next in terms of the challenges that, that uh, they see. And we have Dr. Michael Perscheid. Um, uh, Michael is, is uh, chair representative of Hasso Plattner at the Hasso Plattner Institute at the University of Potsdam. So Hasso Plattner is one of the founders of SAP and he has uh, founded a chair uh, or a center um, at the University of Potsdam and uh, Michael is, is representing him there and uh, this is very very interesting because the HPI um, has the target of becoming the MIT of Europe and we will talk or we will hear from Michael what are the challenges that need to be overcome in order to achieve this. So we have an excellent panel uh, which you can look forward uh, to, to, to interesting discussions and uh, I hope very much that you take um, a lot of interesting points away for you. Okay. Okay, Daniela. So from, um, from your perspective, what are the biggest challenges of uh, Fiducia GRD going forward? What are you preparing your leaders and organizations for? Well, we're, we are preparing our leaders and um, employees for the agile world, for um, implementing our strategic realignment. And uh, with that, we are in including a complete new role within the organization from providing large uh, solutions to our clients to becoming an orchestrator of um, an open platform architecture. And that brings and comes with a lot of challenges, but also gives our employees um, an out outlook on the future and a uh, long-term perspective on our vision and where we want to be in the next 10 years. And that's what we are preparing them for. And Daniela, so you have been building kind of um, and, and maintaining software packages, can we say? And now the, the requirements of the banks have been changing. Um, the, the need for more automation, digitalization is becoming more stronger. Um, how do, what's, what's the effect on your people and how do you help people kind of go through this change? Well, we need to uh, reskill our workforce and, um, in a large scale. We are coming from an expert-based, uh, functional-based uh, software package, and we will be providing our clients um, end-to-end process-based um, system, which provides a high degree of automation and um, process automation. And with that, we need to make sure that our clients, uh, our employees are very customer-centricity-focused, um, that they understand business processes end to end and the effects, uh, the effect of, of their work on the work of our uh, clients. And that's what we're going through right now. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And anything that you have learned during the last couple of months or, uh, with regards to your own organization? Anything that you found astounding? Well, first of all, I, I was afraid that people might become more detached and uh, working from, from homes, being distant uh, personally. And, uh, but in, in fact, we've, we've seen a strong sense for solidarity and coherence in our organization and great pride on what we deliver our clients and our, our um, employees. Um, we are a very trusted and reliable employer and uh, therefore I think that's something we want to keep in the future and um, that's something I learned and I'm very proud of. Thank you, Daniela. Kiyomas um, Hamidian, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. Uh, so, Kiyo, what is... You are in the consulting world. That's a different world, right? Your large, large part of the business is finance, but there's also under other industry sectors that you're taking care of. How is the world of consulting? How is the world of bearing point changing? What kind of top challenges do you see that you want to prepare your workforce, your leaders, your organization for? Yeah, well, I think, uh, as you all know, um, consulting is all about uh, working with our clients uh, and, and adding value to them. I think uh, what was very interesting to see that the change uh, to uh, working at home, making sure that we all are able to work remotely was uh, done pretty uh, quickly. I think within a week we had the nearly 5,000 people remote working. Our clients were very supportive and uh, that worked pretty well. 
Um, so, and of course, we had a bit of a unfortunate fortune, so to say, because uh, we started in China uh, in January already to prepare uh, for the Chinese practice. Then we had Italy uh, as the next one, and then the rest of the organization was in in March prepared to uh, shift to a uh, remote, which I think uh, was was lucky at that point, and the infrastructure was already ready for that. And of course, the first thing also from an organizational perspective, we uh, focused on protect. We call it protect. So really protecting our people, making sure that uh, they're all safe and healthy. We had to bring back a lot of people as they were all traveling. That was the first thing. And then, of course, all the operational things which needed to happen uh, regarding forecast, uh, forecasting cash and other things. Uh-huh. So, so that was uh, basically done within three weeks, I would say, and uh, the organization reacted very positively. I think, as we just heard, there was a lot of collaboration, a lot of communities who are working together, but not just working, but also doing a lot of other activities. We had uh, dancing sessions, yoga, and and a lot of other things where people just started to be creative uh, and uh, really um, take care of each other, which I think was was a great... uh, thing to see and I'm sure this will also be a, a part of our culture going forward. Great, great. And Kiyo, um, so part of your strategy over the last decade, I can I can say, it has been asset-based consulting, which means that you have been developing assets, software assets uh, that have been instrumental also to um, to, to support your customers. Now, during the pandemic, you've made a major transaction and sold off um, the RegTech business to Nordic Capital. How is that fitting into your structure of preparing the organization to be fit for the future? Yeah, that was a big step for us as a firm. So uh, the RegTech business is uh, 15% of our business. It's a own software company with uh, 650 people in a I would say a market leading position here in Europe for uh, regulatory reportings for banks. And uh, we had planned that already for four years now to uh, really give our RegTech business the opportunity to grow, grow faster also internationally. Um, and also, of course, as it is now becoming very mature, uh, really having a leverage model uh, with a private equity. We, of course, will stay very close to RegTech as we are a minority shareholder there and we are also the the diamond uh, consulting partner. So, of course, there is still a very close link. But I think it's uh, it was a good opportunity to allow our um, RegTech team to really start the next piece of the journey. And as you know, Karsten, today we have the RegTech conference today and tomorrow with 1,300 participants on a virtual conference uh, so it's, uh, it, I think it's really prepared for the future. And for bearing point, uh, it gives us a lot of opportunities to uh, invest into our other core businesses. Thank you, Q. Um, Kate, moving over to, to DHL. So um, can you describe what is, what is the special thing about this particular culture, about this very, very international culture. You also know other places. We have met in other companies as well. Um, How would you describe uh, DHL to us? Wow, it's a big question because, Carson, I know you're asking me this question because I joined DHL Express in March and had uh, eight working days before the pandemic really hit where I was. Um, And what's special about DHL Express is the community that is within the organization, the sense of community, the sense of keeping the network alive because the the organization is the most international organization in the world in over 220 countries. You you need to imagine this. And so what is special as well, I I find is how this network works because we need to make sure that every country is then connected to the other countries because you wanna move packages from one to the next. And I think this is, it's something very special to see how this network can be kept alive and certainly how this network has been impacted and I would say almost flourished in the, in the pandemic because as much in the world has been spoken about, you know, everything was remote, we all went digital, we all went home. DHL Express, we did not go home. We stayed out live. We stayed out and delivered packages. Um, we, 
We have our own fleet of airplanes, but we also chartered airplanes to make sure that the network stayed open. Um, we, we really needed to make sure that we had the safety of our employees and also of our customers in, in scope. So a lot of the conversations that have been happening, let's say in conferences like these, or in the internet around everyone's experience under the pandemic, um, our experience has been potentially somewhat different. I see other people in other organizations here that might have some similar um, things happening to them, which is we were we were out there. The world didn't stop for us. We we went out a few steps ahead of the world, and this has been exciting to be a part of and to watch. Thank you. And there is this. Um, you are also in charge of CIS, which means Certified International Specialist. So um, can you tell us about this part of the organization, Kate? Yeah, so um, CIS, as you said, is, is, is the, actually the definition of our culture, and that is at DHL Express, what we do, and I know there are lots of people here from Germany as well, and we think of DHL, you might think of something um, where someone brings you a package which might be from a national, someone from national, but DHL Express is bringing um, time-based deliveries international. And so CIS, um, has a core focus on international because the idea being that when you deliver packages internationally, you need to be a specialist in this. You need to know all the things about different countries in the world and to make sure that everybody within the organization, no matter where you are, is a specialist, has expertise in how we keep our global network alive. And it also says something about how we value our employees because the value of the employee is everywhere. But in particular, it is not an organization where we say there are some elite people at the top who create some products, and then there are other folks somehow in the organization supporting that. The key people in our organization are, are everyone because everybody is keeping the network alive. Everyone is making sure that the packages and what we need to deliver get out there. And the face to the customer are our couriers and they're our superheroes. And this is, the, this is what's exciting about DHL Express, the recognition of what every single employee does to make sure that our business is then working. Great. Okay. So it feels like a special sense of appreciation for the people in the front line being out there, being in the different countries in, in the field, doing the actual work, as opposed to treating them as kind of low, low class laborers. Um, is that the definition or is that the difference? Well, yeah. I mean, in essence, sure. I think the, um, the putting the importance on what, where the importance is, and that is, uh, there's something I like to say in the organization, which is let's keep the main thing the main thing. And the main mm -hmm. thing is that we deliver to our customers to keep our network alive. And we need people to do that. And the recognition that is the people in the organization that drive the value. And therefore, everyone plays an important role. And uh, this is, it's a, it's a different dynamic, I would say, than I've felt in other, in other organizations or with other Absolutely. organizations I've worked with. Yeah, very impressive. Very impressive. Thank you, Kate. Uh, moving over to another impressive organization, SAP. Um, And moving over to Klaas Neumann from China. Welcome to China. Klaas, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm very much here, yeah. <laughs> You're very much there. That is, that is awesome. Uh, good afternoon to China. Um, Klaas, you're heading the global SAP Labs Network. Can you explain to us normal people what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Carsten. And uh, it's also my pleasure to be here today. Um, Yeah, the SAP Labs network uh, combines our 20 key R&D locations across the globe. So from North America, South America, Europe, uh, Israel, India, China, Korea, Japan. These are basically um, those locations. And what we try to do is to, to bring people together um, and, and optimize also the way where we where and how we can develop software together because we discovered About two decades ago, you can't really develop software for the whole world out of the Mittlerer Neckar Dreieck, so to say. <laughs> yeah, I can absolutely envision that. Um, Klaas, you are, on the one hand side, you're representing SAP, but on the other hand, you're also representing China. I know this is a big task, but uh, you have, uh, you're very well connected into politics. You're very well connected into the local industry, even into the science. You, you have become a... Uh, honorary professorship lately uh, in one of the leading universities there. So co congratulations also for that. Um, how would you describe the atmosphere, the business atmosphere um, in China right now? What's the spirit and what do you, how do you compare it to what you perceive from Germany? That's a, that's a very good question. Uh, 
I would say the, the, the atmosphere is twofold. Yeah? I mean, on the one hand side, of course, China is probably the only larger economic region in this world that will grow at 2020. That's, that's the estimate. And uh, the planned growth for the, for the then coming five years is above 5% every year. So that's a very strong and dynamic growth. The German companies I'm talking to here um, in my role as, as a chamber chairman um, also tell me their business is booming. Most companies here have a much better business than last year. I think that's certainly also true for DHL for, for obvious reasons. And um, that, so that's one part. Uh, the other part is, of course, uh, the, the, the sentiment about uh, autonomy. Yeah, that means uh, in China, there's a big discussion about technology uh, autonomy after China was locked off from certain technologies uh, earlier this year um, and uh, from, from, from the United States mainly. And, and therefore, also, there's a huge drive towards becoming more autonomous in, in many technologies. And that's, that's also another clear agenda, which we also see happening on, on different ways. Absolutely. And uh, what about the, the spirit of the, of, of the people within SAP? How do you, how do you perceive or what, what do you see as main challenges for, uh, for the next couple of years for SAP to, to address, to overcome? What's on the main agenda? Our people here are in average uh, young. Yeah? So I think the average uh, age of our SAP Labs China, for example, which is about 3,000 employees, mainly here in Shanghai and in Beijing, uh, is 29 years. Yeah? So therefore, the spirit is, is usually very optimistic. Yeah? So what things just can be done. Yeah? And, and because they can be done, we will do it. Yeah? So there's always this hope and believe uh, that things will be better next year. And, and uh, probably this is also going to happen, at least in terms of uh, um, yeah, the way how you, you can deal with life and the challenges of life. I mean, the way how the corona crisis has been dealt with in China, although it can probably not be repeated that way in Europe or in Germany, but gave also people a huge sense of satisfaction to say, mm -hmm. look, in China right now we have three active COVID cases in Shanghai. In Shanghai, we have three active COVID cases right now in a city of 25 million. Uh, and and uh, so there's a very uh, efficient system they have been uh, establishing how to deal with this, by the way, also based on a lot of digital technology. So mm -hmm. uh, the spirit also is very technology savvy, I have to say. Uh, technology is often seen to resolve basically everything, probably to a very large, a much larger extent than we see it in Europe. Okay, thanks, Klaus. Thank you for that. Talking about technology, that's actually a perfect uh, segue to uh, Michael, Michael Perscheid. Michael, are you with us? Yeah, hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Uh, greetings to Potsdam. So, so Michael, um, there's a special thing around the uh, Hasso Plattner Institute, right? It's a mm -hmm. part of the University of Potsdam. Uh, the donor is uh, Hasso Plattner, who is one of the co-founders of SAP. You are representing Hasso Plattner. Um, What's the idea behind the uh, uh, HPE and what is this thing around becoming the MIT of Europe? <laughs> yeah, so, so we will see if we will become the, the MIT of Europe on the one hand, right? <laughs> But currently we are, we are educating young people in the end uh, for digital engineering. And we are growing at HPI. So at the moment we are 21 professors or chairs here at HPI from all kinds of digital engineering aspects. Yeah, so software architecture, uh, operating systems, and, and also medical health, uh, digital health, uh, cybersecurity, and all the other things around. And we want to focus on a more um, Yeah, dedicated, very practice-oriented uh, education from, from a computer science uh, perspective. And in the end, um, all our people that uh, in the end finish at the HPI um, have a very, very good reputation at all kinds of, of employers out there. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the HPI was founded was to become, to, to create a better class of software engineers that are more pragmatic, more closer to the needs of the of the industry right that was the yeah. the founding idea um, so in terms of your own organization what do you see as the big challenges the big things that you are trying to achieve uh, with your with your leaders with the professors um, with the with the organization as such 
Yeah. So the biggest thing that we want to achieve is to grow. Yeah. So as you mentioned, MIT Europe, this is a vision in a couple of years, for example. Yeah. But now you need to grow. And this means from the building perspective, yeah, not only properties uh, are rare in, in Potsdam, but also finding the right people then also finding the right students. And so then you need to scale on a completely different level. A company can scale on different hierarchy levels. You create a unit, et cetera. But here from a university perspective, each professor is on the same level and there is no hierarchy. Yeah, And to align all of them and going into the right direction, it could be a bit challenging. Yeah, But the freedom in teaching and researching um, makes things a bit more complicated if you really want to grow in, in this extent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Can you explain a little bit the link to to SAP? Obviously, there there is somehow a link. So, what is it, can we can we see this as a kind of academic workbench of SAP, or how how is this to be envisioned? Yeah. So, so first of all, I'd like to mention that HBI is completely independent of SAP, and it's part of the University of Potsdam. Again, we have the freedom in research and teaching. Yeah, so first thing. The second thing, it has been funded uh, completely by Professor Hasse Plattner. Yeah, so he in 1992, uh, 1999, sorry, 1999, he decided, okay, I'd like to give something back to society. And um, yeah, he's, he's a fan of research and uh, uh, academic, etc. So he said, okay, let's, let's fund an old university. Yeah. And uh, he also was born in Berlin-Krunewald, close by to Potsdam. And uh, he was always a fan uh, of East Germany, yeah, because in the end, he also want to, if he wanted to give something back to society, then especially after the, the wall fell apart, um, also to, to East Germany. Then he came to Potsdam and, oh, he was a bit sad because Potsdam has already university. Yeah. Um, but then he also uh, talked with some other uh, people like Bill Gates, for example, and he convinced him, oh, maybe start a bit smaller, start with an institute. Yeah, with a, as part of a university. Okay, he was convinced, and then he started the institute first with five professors. Yeah, and then we grow now with 21. And uh, in the end, um, yeah, so this is his money, but it's not SAP's money, to be honest. Yeah, so he has the Plattner Foundation. You could also Google that if you want. Yeah, he, he also uh, funds a lot of other things like the Museum Barberini, so a lot of art. Uh, things, uh, but also social uh, other things, also in South Africa, for example. Yeah, and we are funded from this foundation. And then, as usually every university or research institute, there are some uh, yeah, third-party funded research projects, and also with SAP. And to be honest, as the enterprise platform integration share from Professor Hart, Professor Plattner. We have a lot of funding from SAP, but this is only our share. Yeah, and so we are making a lot of research with respect to in-memory data computing and no surprise. Um, the first ideas of SAP HANA were, were started at HPI. Um, um, but nevertheless, all the other shares have also different um, yeah, industry partners from VW to Porsche to uh, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Micha. Part of the story of HPI, you mentioned it, that this is the think tank where big, the next big ideas are kind of born and incubated mm -hmm. and then kind of, uh, well, handed over or, or then continued with, with others. Um, I mean, probably it's top secret, but maybe you can share a little blink of it. Um, how far are you or how close are you to the next big thing Ooh. for SAP? <laughs> oh, that's that's a very challenging and tough question, to be honest. Um, maybe I, I can sketch what, what we are currently doing at the Epic Share. And uh, first of all, we are going to data management. I'm not surprised. We are making further research on in-memory databases. And here there's a clear trend uh, also to self-tuning and autonomous databases, yeah, especially with the move to the cloud. Um, we have much more challenges to optimize, find the right partitioning, uh, compression, all this stuff. And to give you one small look into the future, we had one master's student uh, with some let's say, uh, sophisticated machine learning, he was able to speed up uh, the, our in-memory research database up to another 10%. Doesn't sound much, but uh, if you look then at the numbers of uh, SAP, what we are hosting, 10% faster or even less energy consumption, which is another big trend that we are looking in, um, then you can save a lot of money and also find uh, yeah, another opportunity. Then we are also looking into integration. Yeah, you maybe heard about it. SAP has the, uh, acquired one or the other company There are also some integration challenges here, and there are some cool ideas how we can yeah, connect the different dots of our systems much, much more easier. And also we are looking into the analytics part, and here we have 
clear trends. So machine learning, everyone knows about it, yeah. But now the next level of machine learning is about finding out the causality between the data or in the data, yeah, so that you really can explain why something happens, yeah. So the simplest example would be you're going to the supermarket, you're always buying milk and butter, yeah, and now this is somehow in the data. With machine learning, you see structure learning, you see also the causality between, and then it's real, and then you can uh, much better understand and react and this is especially interesting for our manufacturing uh, co-innovation partners here um, which see or uh, have a, a clear need yeah um, to be honest it's an uh, exponential problem yeah so we are able to uh, investigate and an analyze one big roboter in such a manufacturing uh, chain um, but if they want they really want to have the entire production chain analyzed and then really understand why something is broken in a car for example or something that's fascinating. Thank you, Micha. So we see there's, I mean, different industries, different businesses that are really important here and play a role. I uh, Daniela, I would like to move to a different topic, which is kind of universal across all the different companies here represented. That will be the topic of leadership and of, and of culture. Daniela, maybe you can share with us, and please, the truth, nothing but the truth. What are the challenges in terms of leadership and culture that, that you are seeing um, for the next years to come for your organization? Well, for us as uh, Fiducia GLD, we are coming from a hierarchical organization, uh, silo-based uh, structures lacking end-to-end -end responsibilities. And that's the challenge for us, the organization and um, employers to um, overcome these structures. And therefore, we sent, uh, 25 months ago, we've set up um, a huge transformation project including a cross-functional cultural initiative um, that address uh, these issues. And uh, last October, on October 1st, um, we started our new organization, which provides end-to-end -end responsibilities and therefore allows us to become much more agile and gives our employees the opportunities to become self-responsible and to take uh, accountability and responsibility for their work and extend their um, their op options to um, take take things forward and uh, bring their ideas into life and that's something um, that will take us um, the next years probably to really leverage these opportunities become agile and um, scale the people and the workforce we have and their yeah. their potential. And we all know that you know that change is hard, especially when it's about changing behavior and implementing agility also means I give up uh, my headcount, I give up my, my position of power, it's more of a self-organizing team. What's your approach to kind of taking people on the journey so that they don't feel the loss of, of what they had, but see this as an opportunity? What works, what doesn't work? Well, what does work, I think, is uh, that we implemented a strong cultural architecture that um, provides a structure for people and that takes responsibility for the journey. And uh, we're taking on onboarding journeys and journey with our client, with our um, employees to um, ensure they understand uh, the perspective we're taking and, and we understand the goals we're trying to achieve. And I think that's something that does work. It, it works to um, start small, to, to take the chance to to bring projects into life, to um, make people see, oh, there's uh, the grass might the grass might be greener on the other side, and uh, it becomes attractive to to get there. And uh, that's that's something we see at the moment that people see the opportunities that come with the agile way of working and uh, try to uh, get on the greener side of life here. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with people that find it hard to adapt? We try. We are seeing people who don't uh, take the journey um, but we try at the moment we are investing money into agile coaching into training um, into communication and to clear strategic guidance and perspective on where we want to be uh -huh. so it, it really looks like you're reinventing yourself almost like from the from the inside out right we're taking 130 degree re <laughs> re redesign and uh, perspective on or most of the things, but it's necessary to take a step into the future and uh, to make sure that the cooperative uh, financial network has the right IT infrastructure and services uh, for the future and for digital banking. Therefore, it's the step we need to take. 
Yeah. So Daniela, you've been growing through the organization. You know, uh, I mean, all the pieces in there, all the all the moving pieces, a lot of the people in there. Um, in your mind, if you fast forward like five years, how would you think that leaders that you would look for have to be different? What skills will be more becoming more important in leaders going forward in your mind? Well, I think it's not the technical of, of things that leaders need to need to know. It's um, the the fact that we need to learn and to being open-minded and see have a perspective on future to network with our partners and uh, potential providers, and that's something we need. We, I want to see in the leaders of the future, um, and therefore learning is something we've established in our new organization since we know that uh, we need to reskill our people and that's something that won't, will never stop i guess it's um, it's a challenge for the future uh -huh. and then there is this culture element daniela so in the traditional uh, organization that i think fiducegiadi used to be if you make a, if you make a mistake it's not good to make a mistake, right? You want to make sure that you are not associated with a mistake. Then you're moving now into a culture where uh, fail fast, fail early, um, all of that failure culture or error uh, culture is kind of to be implemented. What, what kind of mental models need to shift in people so that they can actually do this or feel safe to make a mistake, for example? First of all, I think we need to provide an environment where there's uh, psychological stability to feel safe and uh, being able to make mistakes. And that's something we try to provide, especially now during the Corona times. It's something that has reached or has achieved a boost, I think. It's it's boosted almost, really. And, um, yeah, it's, it's something that we need to... Um, demonstrate, we need to cele celebrate and we need encouragement of our people to make sure that it's something they want to achieve. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, and the change starts at the top, doesn't it, right? So the board uh, also needs to work on itself, I guess, to develop this uh, as a role model. How far are you there? Well, we're starting, uh, we're trying to become agile as well. It's something we need to do from the top. Uh, that's something we're absolutely... Um, sure about but um, it's, it's something we need to learn as well we can't provide uh, priorities to our clients uh, to our employers it's something they've uh, in their backlogs and that's uh, something i have to learn as well coming from a client and uh, not dictating priorities anymore it's, uh, in the responsibilities of our teams that's hard <laughs> uh -huh. thank you thank you daniela for being so open with us um Going to the world of consulting, so uh, Kio, in, in your world, within Bearing Point, um, the entire organization is built around partners. Partners um, develop business, partners have a very high status, I think is fair to say. Um, how do you see the role of leadership changing within Bearing Point going forward? Yeah, it's uh, of course also uh, something we, we are adopting right now. I, I think... Um, Actually, we were not never a very hierarchical organization. I think uh, as we are working virtually basically all the time as our people are uh, spending most or did spend most of their time uh, with our clients on site, it has been always a sort of virtual leadership uh, style, I would say. Nevertheless, uh, since March, I, um, of course, we are also learning how to make sure that our people are being taken care of, uh, sitting at home, making sure that we spend enough time with them, talking to them. We are a very people-centric organization and that's, uh, I think, the core of a consulting uh, business. And honestly speaking, looking into certain countries, let's take uh, our team in Milano, let's take our team in uh, Paris or London. I, I think, especially for the younger people, it had been at the beginning a nice experience staying home, not traveling all the time, but we see more and more that uh, people want to come back to the office. They want to meet, um, they want to see their peers, they want to discuss, uh, they want to co-work. And uh, therefore we also started changing our office concepts, making sure that we have a hybrid model in place in all these countries to ensure that uh, we can uh, get closer to our people because not everything is uh, virtual as as much as we like it uh, to a certain extent. But I think uh, 
meeting with people is important. The people are spending time in the offices, not so much anymore working on their emails or presentations, or they're much more spending time on uh, discussing and uh, working together, I would say. So there is a bit of a change here, which uh, I think is healthy uh, to have this hybrid model in place, which we basically had all the time, but with shipping more, I would say, into a 50-50, 60-40 uh, setup. And um, our partners and uh, the leadership, of course, also need to adapt to this. Yeah, talking about this, so if you look at the partners that you have right now, and if you envision the 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 type of partners you think you need for the future, maybe in five years' time. What are key attributes that you would see different in the partners of the future in terms of leadership, in terms of their traits, whatever? Yeah, I think uh, everybody who knows consulting, uh, in the past, it was a bit of a hierarchical setup and structure. I think uh, we learned during the last years, not just the COVID, but also before that, Uh, that this is not working anymore. It's it's a lot about trust. It's a lot about a handshake between our people and, and the partners. Um, we are also seeing right now that, especially at Bearing Point, we have a complete uh, change of generations uh, within the partnership. We are 178 partners, and a lot of them are um, out of our own organization, grown, have been grown out of our own organization, and... Uh, You, you can also already see and feel that there is a lot of co-working now instead of le just leading. It's, okay. it, I think it needs to be a mix, but uh, it's, it's working much better hand in hand, I would say. And again, here the question, it all starts from the top, doesn't it? So uh, how do you see, what, what is it that, that you're doing with the partners or that the partners are doing with themselves? Maybe that makes sense. Um, in order to, to adopt to this different style of, of interacting with the, with the consultants and the, and the organization underneath? I think, uh, first of all, everybody understood that communication is key nowadays. Um, it's not about sending an email. It's about really interaction. It's about uh, having the time really to talk to people. And of course, we are uh, encouraging and motivating our people to... Uh, to really uh, spend more time on this. It's, it's much more uh, becoming a much more important part of uh, their daily job, as important as talking to, uh, to the clients. I mean, it's, it's oh. as important. And the, the balance here is now becoming more and more a real balance and not just focusing on one side of the medal. All right. Okay. Thanks, Kio. And when you think of the culture of Bearing Point, which is, um, I think, compared to other places, other houses that we know, a very cooperative culture, and I fully agree with you, it, it, compared to other big consultancies, less hierarchical, uh, more friendly. But is there something, or if there's anything, what, what makes you, you know, wake up at night and think, oh my gosh, we need to work on this when it comes to culture? Yeah, like always, there is a list. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, what, on, on the cultural side, where I'm a bit worried right now, uh, honestly speaking, with uh, especially our young consultants, that they, they get more and more frustrated being at home. So personally, I just hope that we will have the opportunity to get them back, to be, get closer to them. As you know, Carsten, we always do a lot of events with our people. We do a lot of CSR activities. We do... A, um, try really to uh, get engaged with our people, including our clients. Uh, part of our strategy is uh, that we wor work with our people, with the people of our clients and of our society. So that is a bit of a difficulty right now. And uh, we can see that uh, people are becoming more and more frustrated with that. Um, mm. It's maybe not so much the bearing point as such. I think it's the environment as such. And uh, for a consulting company, if you think about a young consultant, why did he join a consulting company? He wants to travel, he wants to meet clients, he wants to see the world, he wants to do interesting projects. If he has to do that now, everything uh, out of his 10 square meter apartment at home, that's maybe not what, uh, what motivates him. So yeah, maybe absolutely. we need to be very careful there. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Q. And I know that you do a lot also for your your people to kind of develop them and, and keep them on board with that. Yeah, so thank you. Um, Kate, um, in terms of leadership, 
um, what do you think is developing inside of DHL Express? What do you see being a crucial component going forward? What kind of skills do you see needed in the, in the leaders of the future at DHL? You know, it's a it's a great question. I think that's the question that everybody is looking for the answer for. I know we I was on a um, uh, a call a couple of days ago, and people saying we're looking for the golden nugget, and I think we're not alone in that. Um, but I would say, in thinking about um, what's happening, um, I really think the the main thing is what I would call health competence. This is perhaps one of the things that is coming to the forefront, which is. On the one hand, am I fit to lead? And somehow I think in the in the previous years, people thought you need to know that, you need to meditate, you need to reflect, you need to be healthy. And this health, this idea of health has really come to the forefront. And for a leader myself, how am I taking care of my health has to be front and center, especially in the pandemic, also because of not just safety, but levels of fatigue, levels of stress that people are experiencing because their world has changed. The other part of that, I think what's really important is how do I now in a socially distanced or in a remote environment connect with my people? How do I connect with them well? What do I need to be doing? And how can I help them with their health and health, not just physical health, but also mental health. And this is really coming to the forefront. And I was um, pleasantly surprised to have to say that this was one of the topics when I was, let's say in May, when I was, was talking to some leaders, this is one of the things that they highlighted themselves. We were talking about remote working and how, do you, how does that work and what do we do about social distancing? And people said their concern was very much around their people and how people may be um, lonely at home, their situation may have changed and or that people may be overcommitted. The, the, the lines between what is private, what is my public, what is my work life are mixing and how do I cope with that? And how do we equip leaders to be able to cope with that? Even when we come to a world where things come back to a different normal, I think this concept of health competence for myself and how I support my team is will be more and more critical. Okay. And Kate, what do you do in order to foster this in your organization? Is there something that that we all can learn from from your organization? I hope so. I mean, what do we what do we do? I think there are a few things that we do. The one thing is um, continue the journey that we'd already been on, which with our with our culture, which is we need to be connecting with people, and we need to keep that alive, and to make sure that it's happening, and find ways to reinforce that. And re that reinforcement means creating moments, whether they be digital creating moments where people can come together to do that. Also reinforcing what we, um, you know, thinking about simple but really critical tools, something we call performance dialogue. That's a fancy word to say. You have a stand-up meeting with your team every day. And you do that, you reach out, you hear, you listen, you share. Um, and also investing in making sure it's happening in the pandemic where you need to do it socially distanced to make it possible and to give ways and to train ways on how to do that. The same being virtual, saying PD, as we call it, does not go away. If we need to do it virtually, this is how we do it virtually. So looking at not um, big, big concepts, but simple tools, things we have already. Uh, we like to say everything you need is already inside the box. So what tools do we have? Let's go to the tools that we have, go inside the box, and see how we adapt those tools that we have to the context that we're in. Thank you. Okay, that makes sense to me. And in terms of developing this culture forward, um, is there anything that kind of you find worrying or anything that you think needs to be addressed or improved going forward? Anything that we can learn from? I mean, I guess what's worrying is the how we can... Um our ability to keep the pace of the, the change and to bring people with us on that journey. The um, the I I don't want to do too many plugs for the for our company, but CIS we're celebrating ten years this year of this cultural journey, this transformation <laughs> that we've been on, and how do we keep things alive? Because we set up a pattern, we set up face to face interactions, we do deep training, deep connecting with people in the organization. Um, facilitators, we have an internal facilitator pool, so all the trainings that we do in terms of leadership in terms of management in terms of becoming a certified international specialist they're led by internal facilitators who have real jobs it's people who are on in the c-suite it's people who are managers it's people who are in the organization they are doing the training and this has been happening predominantly face to face 
So how do we keep the momentum when we need to move to a socially distanced world? How do we keep the momentum when some of that needs to happen virtually? Because that has not been the core of the focus of the organization, because the, the idea never being, we need to look at efficient and economical ways to deliver learning interventions. It was always about how do we make sure we have the human interaction that we can build those connections with people and drive the information to, to real behavior. Um, and having set it up in this way, what we've suffered from, if you will, is social distancing, moving into remote, and how do we overcome that? What do we need to do in the future? And to say as well, it is not that we will now flip to everything virtual, we will flip to everything socially distanced, but to find the right balance and to find the balance to say, we will meet face to face and we will add an element on top, which is going to help us not just through this period, but also in future that we have more interaction, more connectivity, and that we're going to be doing more than we've done before. And I think this is, this is the critical part of it is to explain as well to people what it is that we're doing, how we're driving it forward, and to keep the story consistent, because it is a consistent story. We're going to adapt, however, to the circumstances that we're in. Thank you, Kate. It looks like the DHL is really very consciously investing in this culture and building this culture also in a very long, long-term approach. Like 10 years is, a, is an amazing commitment, an amazing time, and we will hear more about this later uh, from your colleague Jeff in, in one of the workshops. So thank you for that. Um, Klaas, um, let's talk about leadership at SAP. So I think the, the entire notion of SAP, it's a very, uh, as you mentioned, not only a German company, but it's a Rhein-Neckar-based uh, company with a very particular culture, also in terms of leadership. And, and then you're in China with a very young team on average. How do you see the role of leadership changing for SAP going forward? What's the key things on the agenda? I believe leadership always is in a, in a process of tran transition. Uh, I mean, not only, let's say, from a purely academic point where, where you are all probably more uh, into than I am in terms of how leadership concepts have been changing over the last decades. And SAP, meanwhile, also is already a company with a 48-year uh, history, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, what is important, certainly, at, at SAP, I believe, from, from when I started at SAP, to, to make it a bit more personal, yeah, then uh, it was more like the best person in the team became the manager and, and kind of the leader. Yeah, You were the best technical guy and, and somehow someone said, okay, you lead the team now. Um, and it was just believed that this somehow fits together. This has certainly changed uh, very, very much. And, uh, and there's much more investment also in, into leaders in not only technical skills, uh, but also as role models. And then I believe um, the leader as a role model for others is probably the most important part of this uh, because everyone will look upon leaders and emulate uh, what the leader is doing. And this is even more um, distinct here in Asia than it is probably uh, in, in Europe or in Germany. Uh, that is um, how I see this evolving. Thank you, Klaas. And looking at the role of China within SAP, I mean, SA, uh, China is one of the fastest growing markets also for SAP, I suppose. Um, so how do you see the center of gravity I mean, it's still very much Rhein-Neckar and then there's Palo Alto and then there is Newton Square. But how do you see the center of gravity changing towards Asia or not? <laughs> it, the, the center of, of gravity is, I would say, for all businesses changing over time. You, you mentioned uh, the RCEP uh, agreement, which is the big agreement here for free trade among 15 nations in Asia Pacific. Um, please don't tell anyone in any Asian country outside of China, it's China-led. They will definitely not like to hear this. Um, but probably because China plays a huge role, India is the only big uh, Asian country that is not part of it. But uh, that being said, uh -huh. uh, China's uh, trade today with the ASEAN region is today already bigger than this, with the EU. Yeah? That gives you also an idea about the, the magnitude of what is happening here. Now, for SAP, to come to your question, China is not only a market. I mean, uh, we all know China is big and it's the second largest economy in the world and so on. It's also an important place for innovation where, because we believe innovation 
I mentioned it, is not only happening at a few places in the world, and specifically in the technology world, of course, we have all observed lots of uh, progress in China and also the way Chinese companies and individuals adopt uh, technology is very different from Europe. So you can probably imagine how different a WeChat user interface looks to a social media interface uh, in Europe, right? To, the, to, to WhatsApp and so on. It's a very different way how to deal with technology and also very different expectations. And one needs to not only understand this, but also embrace it. And, and therefore, it is uh -huh. also an important innovation hub. Yeah, and uh, Klaas, you mentioned 48 years. Your history with SAP is also uh, very long. You have been, you have, uh, you have uh, seen the company grow and expand. Um, you have been the one that has been groundbreaking the sublabs in in Bangalore in India. What do you think needs to change in terms of culture going forward? Yeah, I think also culture is uh, evolving. Just um, this week, basically. We, we uh, also added a few behaviors, probably also triggered by the, the uh, pandemic crisis. And because our CEO said, look, we had these um, values or the way we, we deal with things, the way we lead, which said, okay, keep the promise, uh, build bridges, not silos. So I, would, I wouldn't call it generic, important things, how we feel, how we should lead and how we should also act and behave in this company. Uh, but now we also said, There are, there are additional ones which we discovered over the last, whatever, six months, uh, also including 2,000 employees. So it's not like the board was sitting down and said, hey, uh, we, we're just now smarter. But they, they included uh, thousands of employees across the globe to say, what else is there? What do we really need now uh, to come not only through the crisis, but also beyond what's important to our growth? And then it three more values have actually uh, emerged. Yeah, one is unlock potential. That means create spaces, create environment for people really to flourish. Um, also um, explore possibilities. So go out to the world, uh, go to your customers, maybe in Shanghai, in Bangalore, in, in Porto Alegre or in San Francisco and make sure you understand what's happening and bring it back into the company. And then also make things happen together, a very strong value on, on also on execution and, and but togetherness also, I think very important because what we felt in the crisis, the glue that keeps people together keeps us also afloat. In most of the labs countries right now, nobody is in the office. Yeah? Here, China is the absolutely exception where we are all back, but uh, uh, India, 10,000 colleagues are not, not, not a single one can go to the office right now. So we, we, we need that kind of togetherness also very strongly. Thank you, Klaus. That's really, really interesting. Um, Michael, the academic world is different. Uh, in the academic world, we have the freedom of research, we have the freedom of, of lecture, and yet, obviously, there needs to be some alignment if you want to build the MIT of the, uh, become the MIT of Europe. So, um, what is changing in terms of leadership in the academic world from your perspective? Hmm. Um, so from my perspective, um, we have we have some some let's say old professors which are quite difficult to change in an online setup. Yeah, um, but yeah, at the moment we need to to do that. Yeah, the good point in academic setup is that we are still in a hybrid mode, even in the lockdown. Um, we are able to meet in person, which is done quite often because a lot of things are only allowed in person. Um, but uh, we also see that a lot of other professors then say, oh, no, um, I'm not coming in uh, because every time I travel with public transportation, there's high risk, blah, blah. And uh, then we are switching then to online meetings as well. Yeah. And then most often this is hybrid. Yeah. So they are sitting three, four, five people in one room. Yeah, let's say the, the, the people which are already on site. Yeah, and then the other folks are dialed in. And this makes sometimes things even a bit more difficult. Yeah, because um, here now we are all online. It's quite difficult to have any side conversations. Yeah, so if you if you want to have to clarify something, then you have to talk. Yeah, okay, there's a chat, but usually there's not much use. Um, but if you're on site and everyone knows that, then you're drinking a coffee with someone in one corner and the other corner and all the other stuff. And uh, this is how we make deals, yeah, because you need to imagine that there's no hierarchy again, yeah. So you need to align all professors on the same page uh, and you cannot say, okay, let's do it. We are doing it this way. Now you can say it, but the other things that you can do it this way, but 
I don't care, yeah, because I'm independent of you. And this makes things much more challenging and uh, all the collaboration things are yeah, a little bit uh, hindered at the moment. So that means it's much more important to create alignment, to create a common vision, a common story and to kind of make people follow as opposed to tell them what to do because that won't work, especially because of that particular Absolutely. protection of research and, and lecture. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so this is also what I learned from, from going back to academia was you need to convince the people. Yeah, you cannot say, okay, I'm your manager, I'm your boss, let's do it this way. Yeah, the final decision, no one has them. Maybe Hasso has them, but this is only on the high level and all the day-to-day -day mm -hmm. business. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Michael. Michael. Um, so question, final question, um, uh, I, and, and maybe a, a closing statement to all of the, the panelists that we have. So... Fast forward a year from now, let's say we have the next conference in a year from now, what's the one wish that you have for your company, your organization, your leadership, for yourself? Um, so what, what would you like to become true in the next 12 months? Uh, maybe a short closing statement from the panel. Maybe Daniela wants to start? Yeah, sure. Um... I would, if if I had one or three three wishes, probably I'd wish uh, for a more agile for more agile processes and especially mindset in our people, for first steps towards our strategic realignment, um, and uh, so that our customers really find trust in the way that we are designing right now. And um, well, I hope we find a way into hybrid working by then and can. Uh, see and uh, interact on a more personal level. Thank you, Daniela. Um, Q, you want to go next? Well, I, I would say uh, take the best, leave the rest. I, I think uh, there is a lot of good things which happened. I think there is a lot of opportunities which we are seeing right now, uh, new formats. Uh, so, of course, we're going to keep all of that and, and try to... Uh, Build on that, and uh, there are also things, as I said, um, uh, only remote is maybe not the r the right answer. It's more a hybrid model. Uh, that is, that these are things which uh, I think we we will hopefully change as soon as it is again possible. Thank you, Kyo. Um, Kate, what's your wish? My wish for a year and a year from now would be that we're riding on the a wave of positivity because. Vaccines are being delivered. We're having new successes around the world and that all of us are sort of a part of that. Um, that's my wish, that we have the energy and a new spirit that continues in a year from now. Thank you, Kate. Klaas, what's the wish from China? My wish is that the situation would be worldwide on the virus side like it is here, that basically we have killed the virus uh, all together in a global effort in whatever means. And uh, not that everybody gets the old life back. I think my co-panelist said it. Uh, we will anyway have a new type of life, but I think nobody needs the virus, really. We, we need to kill it. Thank you, Klaas. Michael, closing words from you. What's your wish? Yeah, that's what also be my biggest wish to have a vaccine and then uh, we are having coming back to a new normal. It will be different than before. That's totally true. But also on the, on the positive side that we are getting more and more digital. Yeah, so class mentioned in China, it's a completely different game. This is also what we see with colleagues uh, abroad. And um, yeah, I really want to have um, yeah a full paperless digital office all over, not only for me, but also for my colleagues, because this would also make things much, much more easier from my side. And um, yeah, I think this is also for the overall business important, yeah, that we as leaders um, much uh, are going much more out there and uh, can do our job wherever we want. And what have you learned, Carsten? I think there were a lot of red threads or golden threads that we could see from the different uh, participants of the executive panel. I think one was the importance of culture, um, that we have a positive culture, that we have role models that are kind of authentic, that people want to follow, and also the need for self-care that uh, employees and leaders um, develop and role model um, the ability to kind of take good care of yourself set boundaries 
and uh, that this is also seen as something that is really important. And what I also liked very much was the um, sharing how Klaus Neumann sees the uh, the people the, at SAP in China, um, how they have this natural optimism, how they um, are convinced that tomorrow is going to be better than uh, today and then yesterday, and how, how this also informs the, the atmosphere and the energy in the group. Um, and what is, what is also striking is uh, across the entire conference, uh, what we will see is that there's a, a very much a similar narrative in the different companies, in the different organizations, what are the really important things. And I think this is also to a degree, um, how should I say, relaxing or confirming um, that we are on the right path. That, that is this, it's really the, the, the human side of the business, especially in such situations like, like we are today, um, that really makes the difference if an organization goes through this um, unchanged or, or, or damaged um, or actually growing because of the, of the crisis. So it's this, this polarization almost. Um, and, and what comes to mind is the quote from Warren Buffett, when the tide goes, you can see who has um, always been swimming naked. Um, and that means if there was something wrong in your culture, it's showing now. If, if something was um, not not working in your leadership, it, it is showing now. And the the opposite is also true. If if your culture is strong, it gets stronger now. And if your leadership is authentic and centered around the humans in the organization, then this pays off in, in situations like that very much. So very, very interesting insights. Um, I, I learned a ton. I hope you took also a lot of good points away for yourself and your own leadership practice. This was an episode of Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world, powered by leadership choices. If you want to give us feedback, please send an email to leaderstalk at leadershiphashchoices.com. Thank you for listening. Thank <laughs> you.